Her middle name's Dolores, but she acts like it's her first. Like she's like a Dolores. At she heart. loves it. She loves. Never it. tell people like this your middle name. It's a terrible no, idea. No, never tell people your middle name if it's Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm your host, Justin Party. I'm your friend, Stephanie Keene. And Pastor Matt, you brought a buddy today. Yeah, that's right. We got my friend Mark Driscoll here. We're super pumped to have him in the house. Welcome to the show, Thank Pastor you Mark. Guys. Yeah, glad to be here. Good times. Excellent. You drove in from, uh, uh, from Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona. Phoenix. Yes, C- there in we the go. middle of spring training. That's Ooh, why baseball. He's, he's so tan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, poolside, backyard side, just getting getting the sun, soaking it up. Dude, winter in Scottsdale, it cheated the system. It's amazing. It's 80s. It's sunny. Everybody's in a good mood. The Cubs are playing. It's not bad. Mm. We have all that here in Riverside, but there's also a, just a nice thick layer of smog. I noticed that. It yeah. doesn't have the UV protection that you would really <laughs> hope, hope, hope that yeah. it was. It's the glory of God. That's why I came here. <laughs> there, there, there you go. Work, work over. Yep. Yeah. Cloud by day. Work for <laughs> Moses. Yeah. Awesome. Well, every week here on The Debrief, we are taking uh, your tough questions about the Bible, bringing real answers, and we've got two pastors answering them today. We're super excited about that. We're going to debrief some of your sermon. We're in the middle of the Relationship Toolkit series, as well as some other random off-topic questions. We will be firing away at you guys. That's right. And we love to get your questions here on the show. So if you ever have questions that you want to get here on The Debrief, you can send those in. Just go to debrief.show. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just look for The Debrief Show on Facebook, and you can send us a message right there. We would love to get your questions on the show. Sounds good. You guys ready to jump into it? Pastor Matt, you feeling good? You yeah. want to get right into a question? Yeah, I got to turn my airplane, my, oh, my, airplane my phone on airplane mode. That's good. That's a good yeah, podcast etiquette. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because this is my 58th episode. Pastor, Pastor Mark looks like he's already set on his phone. I just don't like to return texts or emails or calls. I'm not going to lie to you. My text didn't go through. Yeah, I was like, I didn't get it. I don't tell him it was on airplane mode. Oh. I just tell him I didn't get it. That's, That's right. why you gave out your number to me so easily before the show. Sure, you like, 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 no way. Yeah. I just got Pastor yeah. Mark Driscoll's phone number. Well, oh. to, to not to not be yeah. going through. Oh, it's, hold on, it's hold a number. It's just this not. This is your buddy, by the way. Tell How do we get this guy on the show? Um, Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Preacher's gone wild. It was a rough time. <laughs> yeah. Craigslist. No. Uh, so, yeah, Mark and I met. Actually, he does consulting. And so he came out sandals and did like a leadership day. I don't even know. You just asked me to come hang out with staff. And mm-hmm. So I did that. Do you remember the day we met? When, no. I, when I got lost in the airport. Oh, at the airport. Yeah, he picks me up at the airport. Well, first of all, he walks by me like five times. They're like, hey, man, I know I'm not like an A-list celebrity, but at least find me, you, you know, know in, it's not like I'm in the witness protection yes, program. Yeah. I'm standing out the curb. This is also not like, even LAX. Yeah, it's just yeah, I'm it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's really like four yeah, other people I flew there. in on a Suburban. There's like 10 of us. And then we go out to the car, and he can't find his car. We're walking all over the parking lot. He's like, I don't know where my car is. I'm like, for real? And this is the first time we ever first met. First time yeah. we ever met. I'm I like, yeah. I was assisting Matt at the time. He calls me. He's like, oh my gosh. He's like, I just embarrassed myself so badly. He's like, I, I'm like really tired from my workout yesterday. He's like, well, you did the from my workout. You did an Iron Man. The Iron Man. Iron Man. Oh my, okay, <laughs> this is why. Okay, Tyler. Yeah, did an Iron Man. Well, I got to speak to Stephanie's fiance. This is why we pick on Steph. I did an Iron Man. Did I did a, a workout. It's not like I did jazzercise. Yeah. I did. Okay, I did an Iron Man. That was a mistake. I did an Iron Man in Vegas. Yes. And because my wife was exhausted from watching me do the Iron Man, she requested <laughs> totally. that I drive home. So I drank like a gallon of coffee. <laughs> so I drove us home. I slept like 30 seconds. I get in the car, go to pick up Mark, and I hit the wall at the airport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's texting me, hey, where are you? And I'm like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> Couldn't find his you? car. Couldn't find anything. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming back. Yeah, exactly. No, it was good. It was good. Yeah. It was good. This, this time you decided to drive yourself. No, yeah. I remember my. I think my first question I ever asked you was, "Do you have an assistant?" Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, she like, was fired. I was like, "Where's your assistant, bro?" Because like yeah. you shouldn't be driving. I feel bad getting in the car. And then you took me to Starbucks. You're like, "I, I haven't slept. I stayed in Iron Man. I need to go get more coffee." I'm like, All right. "I needed. I needed like I'm, crack. I'm buckle up. I'll be in the back seat." <laughs> It was oh, a rough. Man. It was a rough first meeting. Yeah, but good. you know, some people read Philippians two and can humble themselves. God knows that doesn't work for me. No. So <laughs> he gives me stupidity to help the humbling process. Uh, so that's how we met, and then we become friends. And it's funny. Mark said uh, he's you know Mark everything's always got you know points. And we were talking. He says I don't know why I love Sandals Church, but uh, I have a I have an affection for you. <laughs> I do. A lot of people get saved here. Yeah, yeah. and it's fun. So. We try. 
Yeah, and Mark's good. scary, so I took the compliment. So I was yeah, like, good. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's let's get af- let's get after it. We're going to jump right into it. Our first question. This one comes in from Kristen. She says, through the relationship toolkit series, you've been talking about the differences between men and women. In one of my classes, the professor has argued that the differences are very small between males and females. Rather, the differences are just stereotypes that were developed through seeing how others behave and express emotion. What does the Bible say about the differences between men and women? Are they innate? Wow, I love this, but I'm gonna punt this to Mark because yeah. I want to hear what he has to Take say. <laughs> this is like a grenade with a pin pulled, so yeah. you know we'll just juggle it and see if we drop it. So, <laughs> I mean, part of it is you know the Bible says God made them male and female, and right. our culture would say, nah, that's mm-hmm. all you know, gender specific, created by culture. But all culture is is a reflection of nature. I mean, right. it's not like na- it's not like culture makes nature; nature makes culture, and so. Yeah, men and women both bear the image and likeness of God. We're both created with a soul. There is so much that is in common, but God did make us male and female. And we now live in a world where there's a big debate, you know, did God make us male and female? Or is that something that we get to participate in the creation process and we get to create our own identity, our own gender, gender fluidity? And so, I mean, this is one of those areas where if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're taking a university class, you're going to see a head-on collision of worldviews, right. and you kind of got to figure out which one you're going to go with. And there, so I'll, I'll be your nerd friend. So there's 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 one ideology that is basically called dualism. There's God, Satan, men, women, good, evil, life, death, heaven, and hell, that there's categories and separations. The other is monism, everything is one. Good and evil are the same. Uh, God and Satan are the same. Men and women are the same. Life and death is the same. Heaven and mm-hmm. hell is the same. Truth and lies are the same. And, and under all of this is really a big, huge worldview collision. Are there two categories? Or is there one? And if there's one, then it's discriminatory or it's bigotry to say that there are two. And this mm-hmm. and this is this kind of I don't want to get into it because I've actually recently acquired a fairly peaceable life. But uh, <laughs> uh, but you know when when Target decided with the transgender bathroom yeah, yeah. bill, it was it was a it was a worldview down to a very practical level. Should there be two bathrooms or one? And it really is, you know, a worldview that says there are. There are distinctions, separations, or there shouldn't be. Mm. And it plays itself out very, very practically. So a lot of people think these are sociological issues or social issues or political issues. For the Christian, they're worldview, they're ideological, they're formative, they're, they're biblical issues is really what they are. So I don't know, you've raised, I've raised kids and boys and girls are different. Mm-hmm. And uh, their, their bodies, insofar as their development, their hormone levels, their maturation, uh, their brain development, there is some distinctions and differences between boys and girls that kind of affects how they play out in life and, and right. how they make their decisions. Right. And there's always, you know, there's always that instance where, you know, when I was a kid, you, you had a, what was called a tomboy, which was a girl who, you know, wanted to play baseball or whatever. I remember when I was a kid in Little League, the best player on our team, her name, her name was Stacy. She was the best player. And so, you know, there have been some ways where, you know, not, not every girl is girly and every boy is, you know, like a boy in that way, but there are general distinctions that are very, very real. And you know, Mark, um, I was reading this article uh, about this school in Switzerland where it's a genderless school. Hmm. And so boys are not taught to be boys because the idea behind it is, right, that we are socialized, which is interesting because the gay community wants us to, to believe that there's no socialization whatsoever in the process of sexual attractiveness. But in the issue of gender, it's all a process of socialization. And so that's interesting to me that, that it's like, what, what is it? Are we conditioned or are we not conditioned? And to me, it's it's whatever it is to whatever point they want to make. And so, um, but in that school, it's, it's been interesting, you know, no uh, uh, gender specific girls toys, no gender specific boys toys. And what they've found is they've had to turn into police because guess what happens when the teachers turn their backs? All the boys go over and throw rocks at each other and fight. <laughs> and all the girls go over into the corner and want to, you know, play and do something, maybe house or kitchen or something. And, and, and they've no one has taught them to do this. They just kind of naturally, and that's your point is, is our culture is the result of who we are, not, you know, the other way around that you said it in a much smarter way. But, uh, you know, I think that it's important. And so for us as Christians, the Bible is our worldview. The Bible is teaching us who we are, where we're going, why we're here. And, and, and universities don't agree with that. And so they're really picking ideas out of nowhere and, and they're making it up as they go along. And there's going to be incredible consequences for us as a culture when we reinvent something that I think most common sense people 
can say gender is something that's pretty fixed in, a, in an individual's life. And um, it's gonna be a really, really sad thing. So I think gender is real. Um, you know, it, it is stereotypical, some of the things that we, generalizations that we make, but generalizations are usually a cause of reality. So we make generalizations because we've had these experiences repeatedly and over and over and over again. And those things are usually, um, you know, described with the word ending in phobic of some kind nowadays, because that's the great, you know, uh, cuss word that you can use to really uh, delineate somebody's arguments. So I, I think gender is a real thing. The Bible teaches it's a real thing, uh, both male and female. It reflects the character and nature of God. It says he created us male and female in his own image and his own likeness. And um, our, our differences are, are great. Um, and I think that's so sad. I don't know if you feel like this, Mark, but in an age that's all about diversity, why would you want to kill gender? Because that's that's the original diversity. I mean, that's that's the original difference. My wife and I are very, very different. My son is very different from my girls. And that's just the way that it is. And um, I think it's something that's beautiful. It's not something that should be run from. So uh, like Mark said, you got to make a choice. When you're, in, when you're in college, even in seminary, I don't know where you went to seminary, but even some of my, my first seminary class, New Testament, the guy said, devil's not real. Well, I went, this guy's an idiot. But you know, some people were taking notes. I was just like, why are you guys writing this down? Hmm. Well, the professor said the devil's not real. I was like, well, Jesus thought he was real. So I'm going to go with Jesus on that one. (laughs) You know, and that professor, praise God, got fired about a year later and needed to be fired. So you just have to understand um, some of the stuff that you're going to be taught, you know, in school is good. It's going to hopefully solidify your views, but some of it's just crap. It's just crap. And... um, Man, the only reason that's taught in school is that's only only where you know those ideas get traction. One of the I got I became a Christian in college as a freshman at a state university, and hmm. it was I didn't grow up in evangelical subculture. I didn't know you know I didn't know about Christian bands and youth retreats and chastity <laughs> pledges, and you know I was all like I, I don't know. I mean that's I never heard of that. So, but getting. Uh, my theology formed in an opposing environment was actually super helpful because mm-hmm. I'd walk into sociology, walk into philosophy, walk into anthropology, and there was there was an ideology there that didn't agree with the Bible. And I'm a brand new Christian. I'm like, well, I'm going to go read the Bible and see what it says and figure out where I mm-hmm. land. And so, you know, sometimes when you're a student, you think, well, I wish I was going to university that agreed with me. It's kind of like weight on a bar at a gym. If you lift that resistance, makes you stronger right. and healthier. And so I found enough resistance in college that actually forced me to study and come to my own conclusions. But it wasn't in the confines of a comfy, safe, you know, home, you know, hometown environment. Um, it was in opposition. And so I tell this person, just follow the truth wherever it leads, and it always leads to the truth. And ultimately, if you're receiving opposition, it might hurt your grade, but it could grow your faith. And so in that regard, it could be a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, Mark, you and I talked about this years ago when you became a Christian. And I would just say, you know, um, God has definitely blessed Mark Driscoll, done a lot of things for his lives. I mean, this is how you were discipled. You were told uh, to read the Bible, which you did. Then you said, what do I do next? And I think he told you to pick a book at a time and study it and do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so that's what I would tell everybody that's listening, you know, it's your faith, study your Bible, read that book. And so, you know, when you hear things, even at churches, isn't it a, is it a reasonable conclusion that a normal person would come to when reading the text? And if we're going to read it in, in the lens of diversity and history, we're not the first to pick up the text. We're part of a few thousand years. Right. And you can't say, well, we've come to a conclusion that no one else has come to. Then we may have come to a bad conclusion. Right. If yeah. we're assuming that God's people have been reading God's word for you know thousands of years, then you would think there would be some agreement, some consistency over church history. And so I think when we pick it up and we're just individually, I came to my own interpretation, I think that can be right. dangerous. Yeah, or you know, the, the people in my culture, the people in my ideology or my day, we came to this conclusion. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. Mm. Everybody before us was stupid. The smart right. people are here. We're finally mm. here to give you the right answer. There needs to be a little bit of humility that says, I don't just come to study. I come as part of a, a, a people, a family that right. God has been working through for thousands of years. And if we've come to a conclusion that no one else has ever come to, we might have just started a cult. Right. You know? No, absolutely. I, think that, I wouldn't say might. You, your name's Joseph Smith. Welcome. Yeah. So, and that's what happens when no one has come up with what you've noticed in, like you said, for thousands of years. And so, um, make sure that you, uh, you know, read others and, you know, get in a Bible-believing 
teaching church. That's huge. So let me ask you guys a follow-up question. You guys are both dads way further along in your journey as your kids are starting to transition out into adulthood, Mm -hmm. you know, cruise through the end of their teenage years, those kinds of things. Maybe not cruise. I don't know. Make some assumptions. There's no cruising. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My kids are way younger. Two boys, seven and five. My girls are three and I guess baby is how you say it. Super cute. How much of these things, you know, so Kristen is saying her professor is just saying gender is all stereotypes and those kinds of things. How much of that stuff do you think we need to be sensitive to as parents? or like, you know, play into. I took my two boys into Toys R Us this last weekend, buying a present for their little sister's birthday. And my five-year-old just walked in and said, we need to get to the pink stuff, you know, playing into, Mm. we got to find the girls' toys, those kinds of stuff. Are there any things that we should be careful of there or? Yeah, so I'll I'll let Mark answer. You want to go first for me? You go ahead. So, okay, so here's another part of that gender study is so what, what, what culture would tell you is that girls have been preconditioned to pink. Right. And boys have been preconditioned to swords and guns. And what they found is, no, the reason the reason that there are so many pink toys is because Mattel figured out girls like pink. They don't sit in a room and say, what color should we sell girls? What they do is they say, what color do girls want to buy? And they produce that. They're in the business of making money. And so there's a lot of talk that, you know, toys are more gender specific now than ever. And I mean, that's just not true. It's just not true. And so you know, toy companies are in the business of making money and more boys are going to like things like your sons like and more more girls are going to like things like your your daughters are attracted to. And so I would just say, you know, embrace that. And as a parent nowadays, you know, I think it's important um, that we do point our kids in the right direction. You know, I had a friend of mine, uh, we went to college together and his son wanted to dress up like a girl and play with Barbie dolls. And we had a discussion. I just said, I think you need to point your son in a different direction. He didn't agree with me. They don't go to sandals anymore. Shocker, but um, but I felt like you need to you need to you know if if your kid is waffling on that, point them in the right direction because the Bible is our worldview, not what the world says. So so I mean part of I think a man's job is to teach, and, and there's a, just an epidemic of none of this in our culture is nobody teaches men to be men anymore. Mm-hmm. And so here's you know here's what we do, and it's not that every boy has to be the same. They don't have to root for the Steelers and wear you know. Uh, yellow and black, but you know, here's what it means to be a man. And, and I just had that conversation with my son last night. This is what we do as men. You know, um, being a man is 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 not just about doing whatever you want to do. I said, what if what if I did that? What if I just did whatever I wanted to do? Where would your mom be? Where would you and your sisters be? And part of being a man is taking care of your family and loving them by su- by many times taking your own needs and wants and desires and pushing them to the side for the benefit of of a family. Mm-hmm. And I'm preparing him because one day, right, he's probably going to be in charge of a family. So, um, and, and then with my girls, we have different conversations. What does it mean to come alongside a man? What does it mean to, to support a man, to encourage a man? What does it mean to challenge a man? What does that look like? And so I, I, I think it's the parent's responsibility to help guide that process. I don't think that, and I think Mark would agree with me on this. I don't think we just sit back and say, okay, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a disaster. What do you think? Children need to be parented. I mean, yeah. if we believe that children are born with a sin nature and they need to meet the Lord to get a new nature, if all they do is just sort of live out of their sin nature, it's going to end in, you know, total rollover, head-on collision. You don't walk away from it. I mean, life is going to be very, very, very painful. And so they need a new nature. They need parenting. Mm-hmm. And I've got Four teenagers right now. I've got five kids, 11, 13, 15, 17, and 19, three boys, two girls. So I've got four teenagers. Wow. And when the kids are little and they're like the age of your kids, mm-hmm. it's a ton of physical work. They're up all night. They're like sprinklers. You know, fluids are coming out of every <laughs> hole. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of work. They get sick. They get, you know, I mean, it's, and it's, they can't tend to themselves. You got to keep an eye on them. As they get older, it's less physically demanding. It's more emotionally demanding. Hmm. Being present, loving them, talking with them, praying with them, and and you guys all remember those teen years are hard hormonal transition years, and there'll be days in those years you feel like oh my gosh they're a, they're an adult. There are other days you're like they're a three year old, right? And they can vacillate back and forth mid sentence you know, <laughs> uh, between three and thirty mid, years of thought. age. Yeah. yeah, and so there is that volatile transition time and. And I think those transition times become so the, some of the most important windows of opportunity for the parents. Because um, you'll see it, like I've got a, a, a daughter who's 13, and there's days she's like a little girl, and there's days she's like a young woman. Mm-hmm. And so, but the, the hard thing is right now, 
so many people don't, Matt, Matt referred to, they don't have a dad. For the mm -hmm. first time in nation's history, the majority of children born uh, to women 30 and under are born out of wedlock. 40% of kids go to bed without a dad tonight. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't know where we were going on this conversation. But but for me, it's like, is if you are honored to be a father and you're present, then that child is blessed because what they're experiencing, even just having a dad, is actually a rarity. Right. And I find, like with my sons, there are certain things that they're going to talk to me about that they aren't going to talk to their mom about. Mm -hmm. Now that they're hitting those those years. And my daughter, I mean, we were at uh, the zoo in San Diego this week. I mean, I, I love her. I adore her. She held my hand walking around the zoo for hours. My sons don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I looked at my 11-year-old son. I was like, you want to hold my hand? He's like, uh. No, <laughs> I was like, I'm just checking, buddy, just in case, you know, so, but she still wants to hold my hand because yeah. she still, she knows I adore her. I love her with all my heart. She's very affectionate. But right now, as she's in those teen years, as a 13 year old girl, I want her to know that she's beautiful. She's wonderful. She's lovely. She's valuable. Mm. And I want to pour a lot of positive reinforcement into her heart and into her soul so that she's not insecure. She's not mm. vulnerable to bad boys, all those kinds of things. So, you know, God will, God will get you ready as a parent, but if you're a father, just take it as a real honor to be a dad. Mm. I mean, Amen. it's a great mm. honor to be a dad. And even having a dad is a great blessing that so many children don't have. And I, I don't mean to speak ill of single moms. I think they have got two jobs to do. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's incredibly overwhelming. Um, but boy, if you're a dad, you know, you are in that role that God shares his own title with you of father and how you treat your kids starts to establish some understanding for them of what fatherhood is like. When my young, my oldest daughter, when she was little, I'd tuck her in at night and I'd push the covers in around her. She'd call it, she'd always say, wrap me up like a burrito. So I'd push all the covers in around her and we'd sing and we'd pray. And I have the worst singing voice and we'd pray and we'd talk and, and I'd snuggle with her and tell her I love her. And she'd always uh, thank God. She'd say, God, thank you that I have two daddies, a daddy in heaven and oh. a daddy on earth. You know, mm -hmm. not that I was the world's greatest dad and the father in heaven is the perfect dad. But just that security that her dad knows or her dad loves her, her dad is there for their, her. And then in those transition times, just to be emotionally present and available to talk and to think and to pray. Because those are very, very confusing years with lots of mixed messages unless there's parents, mom and dad. Grace and I are both investing involved. She's an amazing mom. Um, it's amazing how much confusion comes to a child. Mm. It's amazing how much confusion comes to a child and they don't know who they are. And so we have to help them discover who God intends for them to be, not just what the culture declares them to be. And that, that's just, yeah, we're in it. We're in the middle of it with four right now. Right. Pastor Matt, did you tell Pastor Mark that we always close each episode singing the hymn together? Yes. Perfect. And uh, we're gonna have you lead. The guest so. leads. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> quick, quick heads up. Yeah. So. All right. I'll stretch out and this little light of mine, I'm going to let yeah. it shine. That's right. Our viewership's going to skyrocket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mark Driscoll sings. <laughs> All right. So Chris actually sent in a follow-up question on this. So knowing that God made us specifically different as men and women, what exactly does God intend to accomplish in us specifically as men and women based on how he designed us? Mm. Well, I mean, like, like Mark just said, you know, we, we get to be blessed to carry the title of our father in heaven, you know, I mean, and, and men get to, if they are blessed with children, get to carry that title. And so, you know, I think men are supposed to lead and protect. I think those are the two things that my wife needs from me. She needs to feel safe with me. Uh, she needs to feel like I have uh, the family's well-being at heart, and that allows her to submit and trust me. And, um, you know, when we were first married, I, she really struggled uh in the area of submission because I really struggled leading and earning her trust. And wow. so uh, that was really, really hard for me to admit my failures as, uh, as a man and really my inability to lead because she was so much better as a leader when we first got married than I was and I had to play catch up. And so I think God's role for the man is to lead, protect, and love. And, um, you know, when I turned 40, you know, you guys, I told you that I really felt like God spoke to me that for the next 40 years of my life, I wanna lead better I want to love better and I want to listen better. Those are the three L's of my life. And so um, just learning, really learning to communicate my heart, because I think that's one of the things that God our Father does is not only does He protect us and lead us, but He's constantly communicating His love, right? I love you. I adore you. He's a, you know, the, the story of the prodigal son is not, not really about the sons at all. It's about the father and God's love for both of his sons, 
and both of their stupidity and sinfulness. One's pride and one is just, you know, <laughs> the fool of Proverbs. And so, um, you know, the reprobate son, but God loves us both. And so just being that dad. And then I think for women, you know, I think women so uh, just connect with the heart of God in terms of caring, loving, listening, um, you know, it's, serving. I think women serve so much better. I mean, sandals would fall apart without the women of our church because they're so quick to serve, right? Mm-hmm. They, they do everything. Even think about, you know, our, our podcast, most of our questions and listeners mm-hmm. are women. And so um, they're just such a, a beautiful aspect of, of who God is and a reflection of his glory and goodness and um, just self-sacrificing nature. So I don't know if I've missed anything there. What do you think? Well, sometimes with these issues, it turns into men and women. Right. And when the Bible talks about it, it talks about two people, a husband and a wife. Mm. I mean, so, you know, my role and goal is to love, to serve, to care for grace. We've been together 29 years since our first date, and we had our 29th first date anniversary two days ago now. That's crazy. Nice. And so we met at 17, <laughs> married at 21. And um, and so, you know, for us, it's not that, you know, I need to relate to, you know, all the women in the universe a particular way, or she needs to relate to all the men in the universe a particular way. The Bible's worried about our relationship yeah. and our friendship and, and our life together, just the two of us. And so sometimes these interpersonal issues become global issues, and that's when they get very, 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 very confusing and complicated. Hmm. The last thing I would ever tell any one of my daughters is, well, just submit to men. Yeah, oh. <laughs> That is the very last thing I would ever say on planet Earth. I yeah. mean, it would be like, you know, like, we're not talking about global issues. We're talking about, you know, personal relationship. And so, hmm. you know, for me... Um, you know, I've learned probably uh, the hard way that it's not good to be alone, that a prudent wife is from the Lord, and that when I don't seek Grace's wise counsel and input, and we don't make decisions together, and, and we're not praying through everything together, that's when I've made the biggest errors in my entire life. And so, you know, I am, she is better with me, I am better with her, and we're better together. And we are very, very, very different. We're different personalities, we're, we're very different likes and interests, and that difference makes us stronger and better together. And and without that, I mean, the times, I, you probably feel this way too, the times that I thought I know what I'm doing and I just charged ahead and I didn't pray and talk to my wife, that's, you know, that's when I found myself upside down in the ditch mm-hmm. and made some real grievous errors. Yeah, you know, you were talking about, uh, we had Mark out today to talk to our staff. Um, you were talking about today, the three types of people, the fool, the wise, the wise and, foolish, the e- and, evil. and the evil. And I have had the hardest time detecting evil. My wife is; she's got a sniffer for it, man. She yep. she has told me that that guy. I remember one particular years ago when we first started Sandals. She told me she said, "I don't like that guy." He was a pastor on staff at our church. Um, he ended up having multiple affairs, destroyed his family, destroyed his ministry, just absolute absolute train wreck. My wife knew it in the first conversation, and I was like, "Oh, you're being critical," you know. And I, you know, yeah. I, I thought I knew better. And my wife's radar for evil and. I've learned to listen to her and to know that, you know, um, Proverbs says wisdom cries out, right? And, and it's, it, it's in the, the effeminate in the Hebrew. And so, and I'm like, God is using my wife to speak wisdom to me and I need to learn to listen to her. And right, and that's what Proverbs is about. Which woman are you going to listen to? You know, the harlot whose lips drip like honey or wisdom that's crying out. There's, there's multiple voices here. And um, we need to learn to listen to our, our wives who are just gifts and, um, have such discernment in ways that I don't. And that's one of the things I've learned is my wife just gets things that I don't get. Yeah. Like, I don't even have a category for it. And it's like, I can't go read a book about it. I need to learn to trust her. And the same way is true for her. There's not something, you know, it's so funny. Uh, my son was having some challenges at school and I was having a meeting with his teachers and there was all four women in junior high. And I said, there's no male teachers on staff. And this 25 year old woman says, no, but I've studied men. <laughs> oh boy. I, I, I about lost my mind. My wife says, literally, she saw the, the bomb go off in my head. Because can you imagine if a man said that? Oh, I've studied women. <laughs> I, I know women. I know women. I, I, couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the arrogance of that. And it's like, you know, really? We need each other. And there are blind spots that we don't see. And, and that's part of um, just the beauty of God. I, I have two gay friends. They've been together for, gosh, I don't know, 30 years. And, and we've gone back and forth. And in terms of their relationship and their faith. And one of the times we just had this real honest moment. And my friend Tom said, he said, you know, I see the wisdom of God. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I can see why you need difference in marriage. He said, because we, when me and my partner, when we lock horns, he's like, there's no difference in opinion. It's, it's brutal. 
And he just said, it was just amazing. He said, I see, I see God's wisdom in that. And it was a really, really frank, honest, open conversation about God's design for differences in that and how, and how we need that different perspective, that other voice to move forward together. And I think that's the tragedy of relationships is oftentimes we fight over those differences, not understanding that those are gifts. You know, stop wrestling over the difference and just embrace it and be like, okay, I, 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 I'm missing something that my spouse sees. Yeah. I am just not seeing that. And uh, I, wish, I wish I would have known that when I got married because I, I just, if I would have listened to Tammy, I, I'd be a, a lot better man yeah. a lot sooner. For maybe those of our listeners who are single and are not married, what are some ways to maybe live out your role as a man or a woman and even seek some of that input from men and women in healthy ways that are like they can help you experience that or live that out without, you know, getting into weird, shady territory. Yeah. Well, you know, right now, most people are living away from family. People are relocating, especially young urban professionals, college educated mm -hmm. singles, moving to major cities away from family of origin and or they came from divorced and broken home. And so, you know, usually you would grow up and your parents, your grandparents, you know, extended family would be there for wise counsel. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see that like, um, you know, like I see my sons grow up and they, they know and love their grandmas. Mm -hmm. And so their grandmas are making massive deposits in their life. Um, most people don't have anything like that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that's where the church has an opportunity to step in where sort of the family is struggling and to be the family of God. And so in a church family, you've got older people who can serve as kind of the role that a spiritual mother and father or grandmother and grandfather might, and then it's seeking out wise counsel. So I always encourage seek wise counsel, seek wise counsel, because oftentimes what we do, we seek counsel, but it's not wise counsel. So if you're the single guy dating a gal, you're like, I need counsel, I'm gonna go ask my buddies. That's right. not wise counsel. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 uh, you're well, all single. Like, yeah, you don't that's an island of idiots at Camp Stupid. Get it, move away. <laughs> yeah, go go find somebody who's been married. Like I met a couple recently at church. They've been married fifty five years, mm. love each other. Their kids love the Lord. Their grandkids go love the Lord. They still hold hands and flirt and kiss each other, and they're adorable. It's like go ask them. Right. You know, go ask them if you're dating someone or you're looking for someone or you're engaged to someone. Go ask somebody who fifty five years later is still smiling and holding hands. And so that's where the church has an opportunity because where else are you going to go in the culture you can't go to a bar you know you can't go to a sports bar you can't walk into a sporting event and say i'm going to find some wise counsel here to help me make my life decisions <laughs> there's nowhere else to go you could pay a counselor which can be helpful but it's 150 bucks an hour and if your issue doesn't arise to that level or you can't afford that price point you're just sort of like i'm going to make all my mistakes and learn the hard way or you can walk into the church find some people and ask some questions right. and so and what's interesting too tangentially so kind of baby boomers older folks they wanted to take back the church from their parents gen x kind of my age Father wound, hate your parents, go plant your own church, blah, blah, blah. Younger millennials. Wait, are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to both of us. Um, <laughs> and then uh, millennials, though, they want to go to an Keep intergenerational church. Yeah. And they want to have older mothers and fathers, and they don't want to plant their own church statistically. They want to have some mentors ahead of them to learn from. Mm. And so I think especially with up-and-coming younger millennials, the church has this really rich opportunity to say, we can help fill some of the hole that was left by the family that didn't hang together. Mm. And so I think it's a great opportunity. So, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, kids across the spectrum. My oldest daughter is a sophomore in college and, and they love those older relationships and they love those people. I mean, they want peer relationships, but they also want mentors ahead of them right. um, and examples to serve for them. So I think church is uniquely positioned to meet that need. Yeah. And I would just say this, uh, I think your the end of your question was how not to make it awkward. I have people all the time that come up to me and say, hey, I want you to mentor me, disciple me. I want to meet you know, if I met with every person that's like, I want to meet, I would never do anything but just drink coffee intravenously through my veins and meet with people. I mean, literally, it would be the most bizarre thing. So there's actually a hipster uh, coffee bar downtown where you can do that. Just that's gross. Okay. So um, that, uh, no. I'm going to pray for you later. Okay. Um, so, so what I would do is find it naturally in community. So join a community group, get in, in a community group and join that group and be praying. Who's the person that God has placed in, the, in, in this group? Older, wiser, counsel, uh, get involved with the ministry. I mean, the best place to find wise people is in service, right? People that are serving in the church, old, you know, older, still love each other at marriage events, stuff like that. Find those people and get to know them and then just say, hey, I'd love for 
uh, you know, uh, n- not a you know never ending commitment, but I'd love to spend time just learning from you. And and I think most people respect that and appreciate that. And it will happen naturally. You know, you can be a little active, but don't like people come up to me and they're like, you know, I want you to mentor me, Mark, every day, uh, Tuesdays at, you know, you're saying no. No, what wise people do, if somebody really is wise, I say, I'll meet with you once, bring your questions, take notes, let me do most of the talking. I'm going to give you some action items. And if you do them, I'll meet with you again. Yeah. And if you don't, we're one and done, son. And most wise people I know, that's the way it works. You're thinking, I want to buy a house. You're a mortgage broker. I'm just going to take notes and you tell me and, you know, or whatever the case may be, whatever the life issue is you want. If you're looking for somebody to meet with you every week, what you're looking for is a parental relationship, not a mentoring relationship. A mentor is someone who literally helps you untangle your knot and then you move forward with your life, but they're not there to untangle every knot for the rest of your Mm. life. Mm. Amen. Mm. That was good. Write that down, everyone. You know what you should do? You should get a Twitter account. I'm praying about it. Yeah, I've heard of this <laughs> tweeting thing. I think yeah. he could have some success on there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's another question. This one comes from Angie. She says, I've been struggling with what my relationship to God should look like. Pastor Matt has said that prayer is us talking to God and reading the Bible is God talking to us. That doesn't seem very interactive or relational though. Is our relationship with the Holy Spirit the more interactive part? How can we make our overall relationship with God more interactive? Yeah, so the reason why I say that is because I, I think what we do is when we romanticize our relationship with God, we all anticipate hearing a verbal, a vocal voice from God. And so what I'm saying is, you know, those moments in the Bible where people heard from God, those those are extraordinary moments that are highlighted. Don't wait for that because then people feel like, well, I've never heard from God. Well, if you read God's word, you've heard from God. So what I was trying to say in that moment is the typical way that God hears from you is through prayer. And that's the purpose of prayer. Because a lot of non-Christians, new believers feel weird talking to themselves. Well, I talk and God doesn't talk back. And that's why I tell people, praying is you talking to God. Okay, because if you're waiting for him to talk back, you might be sitting there for a while. So just tell God how you feel. We know every time we read God's scripture, I don't know why I just pointed to Mark's book. It's not scripture, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Let's pretend there's a Bible here. You know, when we when we uh, when we read God's word, we know that God is speaking to us. That's all I'm saying. Yes, the Holy Spirit is personal, and the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will direct you, and the Holy Spirit can speak to you. I mean, Acts says that the Holy Spirit spoke. So yes, those things can happen. All I was trying to say is that the usual, normal way that God speaks to us is through His word. That's the primary uh, method that God uses to speak to us. And I just don't like it when people feel like a second-class Christian because they've never heard God's voice. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that's why I say in the scriptures, when God talks, the people of God say, please stop. (laughs) It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, God speaks to us through his word and speaks to us through through the presence of his Holy Spirit and and his church. I believe that God uses people to speak all the time. And so we need to, we need to learn to listen to that. So I don't know what you would add to that. Yeah. And like there's gaps in the scriptures. So for the end of Malachi to the coming of Jesus, there's 400 silent years. There's no record of a prophecy or a miracle. Mm. 400 years. That's a lot of generations. Um, you read the book of Acts, for example, and most new Christians will read Acts. They're like, why doesn't that happen? Acts is not what happened in a week. Right. <laughs> it happened over the course of many, 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 many years, but it's all condensed. Yeah. And so we we watch it like it's like going in to watch, you know, a two or three hour movie of the life of Jackie Robinson. You're like, well, that was an exciting life. Well, that was that was his whole life. <laughs> yeah. We just watched it in two or three hours, yeah. you know. And what you're getting in Acts, you're getting, you know, years of work, but you're getting the condensed version down to pages of summation. And so for those of you that are newer Christians, you're reading the Bible, you're saying, why doesn't that happen? It doesn't happen to everybody and doesn't happen all the time. You know, those are extraordinary supernatural occasions, not just Tuesdays. Mm. You know, it's right. not like that and all I, the time. I don't know how you feel, but when somebody's constantly telling me God said, the Lord said, God said, I mean, unless makes... they got a verse, I'm a little skeptical. I yeah. do believe God can and does speak. But again, you know, if God wrote so much in his word, it seems like the majority of what he needed to say is covered. Right. But you know what I'm saying? I don't you feel sometimes people use that in a manipulative way. Oh, it's the, yeah, it's the, you, you checkmate. Yeah. You know, I know you think, but God told me, so, nee, 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 yeah. I win, you know. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors, God told me, oh, I won yeah. again, you know, because yeah. God told me I always beats rock, scissors, and paper. Right. You know? Yeah, and wisdom, <laughs> common sense. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. So so just be careful of that. I'm always a little leery when somebody's running around, you know, you know, saying they talk to God, like, in a conversation. So just, just be very, very careful of that. And it's not that God doesn't speak. It's that, like Mark said, there are periods of time where God didn't speak. Well, most of the time when God speaks, people are freaked out. Yeah. Isaiah, woe to me, I'm undone. 
I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. You know, I mean, Jonah, you know, runs the opposite direction for his life. Usually when God talks mm. to somebody, they're not like, Ooh, can't okay, wait and to just, Instagram this. Just for the record, <laughs> yeah. just for the record, I didn't tell you to say that. I didn't prep you to say that. You just, of your own intuition and Bible reading. Do what you just, pay for, bro. I'm here for free. So it's just going to be Because literally yeah. I have to arm wrestle our whole conversation. Every time, well, there's this verse where the Holy Spirit was comforting and beautiful. I'm like, the normative pattern in scripture is when God speaks, people crap their pants. That's the normal. Mm-hmm. There's a reason God always begins with do not be afraid. <laughs> Yeah. Because you just wet yourself, and 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 that's it's a but our, our, usually our, when God speaks, it's to tell you to do something you don't want to do. Oh, see, and do so you, He tells you. So see, yeah, I didn't tell Him to say that either. No, nope. yeah, so it's like people, we worship the same God, read the same book. That's amazing. Yeah, let me ask you. Okay, th- this like is the Moses, verse. like Moses, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like, go tell these no, uh, I no, I don't want to do that. No, people think when God speaks, it's like a Care Bear in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I mean, literally, the Israelites are make it stop. Moses, yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, you go there. Okay, the last sentence that Angie said is this. How can we make our overall relationship with God more interactive? So, I guess two questions. One, I guess, how do we do that? And number two, is that even something we should be pursuing? Mm. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure by what she means by interactive. So, um, does she mean participatory? Does she mean, you know, bringing God into our life? And what I would say is God is interactive in your life. God is present. So, the the, the fall created an absence of God's presence in our life. So, when you look at Genesis 3, what happened? What what what, what was lost was the presence of God with them. So, the, the Spirit of God that breathed in Adam is now gone. And now when the Ruach shows up, the wind in Genesis 3, that which was life-giving is now terrifying. So, there's 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 a separate, they're, 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 they're distant. So the, the promise of Jesus is, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. It is God's presence. He is with us. If we are a born again Christian, God is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he's with us all day. What I think having an interactive life is acknowledging God's presence, listening, stopping. We talked in last week's episode. Um, you know, I think our Christianese question is, what is a quiet time? It comes from Psalms 46, you know, be still, stop, listen, take time. We're very, very busy. And it's just recognizing God's presence. Because I believe God is speaking to me, nudging me. He, he is with me all the time. And it's just becoming aware to what he's saying and what he's doing. And usually that means for me, I got to slow down a little bit and listen. So I don't know about for you. Well, the, a lot of the language in the Old New Testament is that the the collected people's relationship with God is kind of like a husband and a wife. Mm. And a lot of marriage is just sort of normal stuff, you know? I mean, you go on your first date and you come back and you're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And 27 years later, you're like, and we went to the grocery yes. store. Yeah. And it was just a, a whole lot of normal. And a lot of life with God is like a marriage. It's just doing the normal stuff of life together. And it's not like, you know, there's angels and explosions and trumpets. It's just presence of being together and doing life together. And I think you've reached a contented and more mature place in your relationship with the Lord when just being in the Lord's presence is absolutely sufficient. And he doesn't need to send an angel or blow a trumpet or, you know, turn a little boy's lunchable into a stadium full of snacks. I mean, those things are extraordinary, but a lot of it is just life together and it's just enjoying the presence of God. And so, I don't know what she means by interactive, um, but I would say that that time with the Lord, not for what you get from the Lord, but just being with the Lord, that's when the relationship deepens. Right, yeah, and not just pursuing a sensation, a feeling, or an experience. Uh, so be, be be careful of those things. I think that those things are helpful and beneficial from time to time, but sometimes when we're running from experience to experience, we just become, uh, you know, really, it's just emotional. It's not a spiritual yeah, Jesus relationship. Jesus a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Mm-hmm. So if we're chasing signs, mm-hmm. uh, we're finding problems. And I always say, we shouldn't, uh, God's people shouldn't chase signs and wonders, but signs and wonders should follow God's people as they chase God. Mm. Mm, that was good. Okay, we got two more questions. Pastor Mark, really quick. Um, Stephanie and I have 20 bucks. We got a little wager to see which one of you guys were going to do more Greek or Hebrew words. I don't do a lot of Greek or Hebrew. I went to public school and my dad hangs drywall. I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm down 20 <laughs> yeah. bucks because he said- down 20 bucks. He said- He, he said, pulled out some Hebrew. Ruach. 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 You have to like- 
Oh, geez. Topic. Now she's, you're rubbing yeah. it in your own proper pronunciation <laughs> yeah. of the Hebrew. I just listen when my pastor talks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mental race. <laughs> Stephanie, one. Justin, zero. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. I got mentally fired, I think, last episode. That's so. true. Yes, she did. I think you're going to lose 20 bucks, bro. <laughs> That's probably all right. I'm okay with that. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Carl sent in a question, actually getting back on the topic of marriage a little bit here. And he says, Pastor Matt, I've heard you mention before um, that you used to minimize what Tammy would say and use phrases like, you're crazy or that's not true as examples. And he committed, I use these phrases as well. He said, I feel like I minimize what my wife is saying to try to keep the situation from getting out of hand. How did you stop minimizing what your wife was saying? And how do you respond if what she's saying really is not true? Yeah. So, I mean, right, there's there's two sides to this. W- one is you're minimizing what your wife's saying, feeling, or whatever, because you don't want to deal with your own crap. The other is maybe your wife needs medication, right? Those are the two polar sides to this. And I don't know his specific situation. What I know in this, whether, you know, you are uh, totally healthy and and not in the wrong whatsoever, or, you know, your wife is right, listening and, and calmly handling the situation and, and trying to uh, hear her heart is going to be beneficial for everybody else. And so um, I'm going to punt this over to, to Mark because I think today, you know, we, he actually talked to us about marriage. I think, you know, the question I asked you about, you know, how do you hear grace? Your answer was epic on that about the fool, the wise, um, and, and the evil. When you talked about, you know, am I any of these things? When she maybe has some criticism for you or she's saying something maybe that you initially don't agree with, you know, about your behavior or attitude or just something that's happening in marriage. So how would you answer that? Yeah, two, uh, thank you. two things. Number one, um, before you talk about anything, you need to pray about everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just it. A lot of couples, they'll start by talking about it. Well, that's not the right way to, that's not the place to start. You start mm-hmm. in prayer. You should be praying for each other. You should be praying with each other. And as an issue comes up, so you know what? We're going to need to have a conversation about this. But before we do, let's spend some days, weeks, whatever time we've got. Some things are more time sensitive and urgent. Let's really be praying about this. Let's pray together. Because prayer is not where we change God's mind. It's where God changes our heart. God doesn't need prayer. We do. It's not like we're telling God something he doesn't know or making God do something he won't do. So prayer is not to benefit God. It's to benefit us. And it's to get our hearts and our wills in alignment with God. So the couple that's praying together, they tend to end up at the same decision. Because usually it's he wants to go left, she wants to go right, you know, and they're fighting and they're arguing. If they both bring it to the Lord, then if they both seek the Lord's will, then ultimately they'll usually end up at the same place. Mm. So most fights are cured by praying. And what it allows you to do, it allows you to discuss it in a way without fighting over it Mm. and inviting the Lord into the middle of it. So something like this, I would say, you know, you could always start with, I receive that. I think I need to be praying about that. You need to be praying about that. And not just saying that, but actually doing that. And then let's do that together. Let's make this a daily habit that this becomes something that we pray together over, that it becomes a point of unity and clarity and not division between us. The other thing is, like I was sharing, we we talk a lot. There's three kinds of people. There's wise, foolish, and evil. And uh, and the question of evil is, okay, am I being evil in this? Mm-hmm. Like, is this my selfishness? Do I just want you to serve me, accommodate me, you know, adjust for me, cover me, take care of me? I mean, is this just really evil? Mm-hmm. Foolish. Am I am I being really foolish here? I'm 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 wanting something that's not wise, not good, not not best. Or maybe I feel like because I'm doing good in some areas of my life, I'm allowed a little hall pass in some foolish areas right. of my life. Um, and then wise, you know, am I responding in a way that is wise? And do I see my spouse as wise? Mm. And if your spouse is wise, then you need to open your ear. If they're foolish, you need to love them and talk to them and see if you can't reach some wise consensus. And if not, bring in wise counsel to be the umpire and the mediator and negotiate the difference. And if your spouse is really evil, that's when you need a pastor or a counselor because you're in a crisis situation. You're saying, that person's evil. They're going to hurt me, and I don't trust them. Like, right. uh, I was dealing with a case recently where the husband's committed adultery on the wife multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. And so now he's trying to tell her what to do. And she's like, do I didn't need to listen? No, he's evil, man. He cheated yeah. on you. Now he's trying to manipulate all the circumstances of the divorce settlement toward his benefits so that he doesn't have to give you anything after he's cheated on you. No, <sighs> no, no. That's evil. And you're giving into that. So you're leaning toward foolishness. You need to pursue wisdom. You need to bring in somebody who's wise. Mm. And so, you know, if you're blessed with somebody who's wise, you listen to them. If Mm. they are foolish, at least in a particular area, and we're all foolish, at least in some area, say, you know what, we need to pray and study and bring in somebody who's wise. And if they're evil, say we need to get some professional help because we're at a stalemate and an impasse. Right. So, you know, the verse we talk about at Sandals a lot is first take the log out of your eye before you look at the speck in your friend's eye. So, um, 
in marriage, that's what you need to do. Before I criticize my wife, you know, uh, being crazy or emotional or ridiculous or whatever language you want to, you know, use to that. Is there any truth to this? Is there is she seeing something that I'm not seeing because of the log in my eye? So look at yourself, um, and then as the man, you got to own it. And you know, my wife is going to follow my spiritual lead. So I had to own it. I had to die first. I had to lead first. I had to be honest first. I had to do all of those things to make it safe for our marriage. And uh, it was amazing. Once I started doing that, she started trusting me. So I would say this, you know, I said that I used to say that, you know, I thought Tammy was crazy. My wife's core sin, and we, we talk about this at our church, we do a personality assessment. Uh, her core sin and core struggle is fear. It, fear motivates and drives everything in her life. And so for her, whenever we were having arguments or discussions, um, I used to call her worst case scenario. So, uh, you know, Ethan's toe hurts, he has toe cancer. You know, that, that's that's where she would go. Well, I'm like, okay, pro- probably not. And she's like, yeah, but Bob Marley died of that, which is true, you know, and I love his music. But but this is probably not, you know, Ethan probably just sprained his toe. And so we got to deal with that. And so I learned I had to address my wife's fear. And I had to, to speak to that and say, for example, you know, I think I said this in the sermon, on a scale of one to 10, the issue we're talking about is a two for me. But I want to deal with this and I want to talk about this. Um, I wish I would have prayed earlier on and sooner and, and prayed together and prayed over a period of time. Now with my wife's fear saying, we're gonna pray on this for three days, she's not gonna pray. She's gonna worry, stress and have anxiety for three days. So we probably need to pray for about 10 minutes and then talk because she's gonna be so worried. Like the worst thing I can ever do to Tammy is, hey, we need to talk when I get home from work. I, I might as well have said, go have a heart attack, you know, <laughs> go, go, go jump off a bridge. Like she does not operate well. Like I operate in that world. You know, Mark can say, hey Matt, I wanna talk to you about something on Tuesday. I'm like, Okay. My wife's not waiting until next Tuesday. I mean, it's not, that's just not, so I have to understand her needs, um, you know? And so my core struggle is not being honest with how I'm feeling. It's deceit and not being real, which is why I started a church being real with yourself, God and others, because that's what I needed. And um, just learning to be real and share what's really on my heart. And so it was really weird because I wouldn't tell her because I was afraid of what it would do to her, but then it caused her not to trust me because it it was this whole thing. So anyways, we're having those self-discovery classes. Come in, take it. It'll be the best couple hours of your life. You guys have both done some of the training. How did you feel like it was? Oh, really good. Fantastic. Fantastic. You're married. How's Mm -hmm. it been? Very helpful. Okay. And you're engaged. Yeah. And we've been talking, it was kind of a game changer for us to understand how each other worked really well. Yeah. So I I think it's been a really, really good thing to help us see each other and not assume, you know, I think we use the word crazy just to mean, I don't get it. I don't get you. I don't understand you. That seems foreign to me. It doesn't make sense. And a lot of that's because we're just very, very different. And and again, that's good. So learn you know, how to use that for the benefit of God's kingdom and God's glory. And uh, so anyways, I love what Mark said. Take that class, come see us. Um, we're going to be offering that very, very soon. We're still getting our final training, I think in April, mm-hmm. so we can all be certified and not lead you guys uh, into worse relationships. So pray for us as we finish the training. One last question, but hold on. Did Bob Marley seriously die of, t- of cancer in his toe? Yeah. I had no clue. I didn't know that. You didn't? How can you not know I, that? Well, I just assumed he clocked out of 420 or something. I had... One love, bro. <laughs> One love. Mm-hmm. One yeah, puff yeah. too many was what I thought. No, no he had toe cancer. So they thought no. it was uh, a soccer injury, oh. which is why my wife was like, that's what happened. <laughs> I'm going to go to Wikipedia after this and make yeah. sure everything that he said was just true. You okay. don't, see, you don't trust me. Wow. But what he does it, trust Wikipedia. Yeah, I was like, but she'll go to Wikipedia. <sighs> Bob Marley I'm going to go on cancer, there and bro. make sure that it's been updated recently. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Okay, the very last question from Alex. I love how genuine this question okay, is. Okay, hold on. Just so you know, we played Bible trivia with my family, which, by the way, it got thrown away because sometimes the cards are wrong. Oh, really? In Bible trivia. I am not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can ask my wife. I tell her, I said, the card's wrong. It's a, it's a typo. I'll ask her. Sometimes I'm wrong. Maybe you should ask her. Sometimes I'm really wrong. I'll, I'll check in on that. <laughs> okay, here we go. We've here gotten we go. many fights over trivia, trivial pursuit. Well, that's one thing to fight about. Yeah. That's probably better than anything we fight about in our house. Okay, here we go. The last question comes from Alex. I have a spiritual mentor who I'm really close with, but I believe he may have caused me to sin against the leaders of the church because he shared some of his judgments about them with me. So before I even got to know them, I assumed they weren't good enough to be leaders, all because of what he said. When I actually interact with them, they've turned out to be lovely people. 
He has since seen his wrong mindset about them and has apologized and sought forgiveness from them and me. Was I in the wrong or is it a sin to judge them based on what I was told by someone I trusted? Yeah, I'm going to let Mark. (laughs) You may have had some personal experience. So, I mean, if we believe everything we read about someone, I mean, just think about the Lord Jesus. So, his critics said that his mom was a lying, you know, yeah. busy woman, trying to figure out how to say that correctly, and that, uh, that he didn't even know who his dad was because she had been with so many men, and that he was a demon-possessed alcoholic, mm-hmm. okay? And I, I'm going to go out on the edge of the limb and say, I think Jesus was probably not that, mm-hmm. okay? Um but that's how he was presented by those who were jealous of him, those who misunderstood him, or those who were really afraid of his power. And so anytime you come into kind of church world and religious world, some people are hurt, either by a leader or a previous leader, and they sort of compound that hurt. Some people are jealous because they don't like the power they have. Some people are just fearful of those in authority, and some feel like it's their spiritual gift to be the devil's advocate. Um, to always take the contrary in position to hold you accountable. And so when you're a younger believer like that, and you have a, I would say a bitter mentor, because Mm -hmm. that seems to be coming through a bitter grid, um, then yeah, as a younger believer, you, it's kind of like a a child growing up with a parent and the parent is almost, Mm -hmm. let's say racist, you know, all these people are like that. And you're like, well, that's what I was told. So that's how I interpreted all the data. And then I grew up and I met some people and I realized that, well, my mom or dad was a racist and what they Mm -hmm. told me was not in fact true. Right. And so what this person has done, they've come through a maturation process Mm -hmm. where they're not just looking through the eyes of their mentor, they're not looking through their own eyes. And they're saying, you know, the data doesn't add up. That's not what I said. That's not what I experienced. Now, the good thing is here that the mentor has enough humility to own it. Because sometimes people, when they're wrong, they double down. Mm -hmm. They just double down. They're like, I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm going to double down, triple down, quadruple Mm -hmm. down. And it's like, okay, now it's nuclear and we see a mushroom cloud over the church uh, because there was an unwillingness to to deal with a real person instead of a caricature or stereotype. Mm So I don't know if this person was in sin, the Holy Spirit will refer to them and, you know, will convict them if need be, but they were definitely jaded by a mentor who had some sort of bitterness or hurt. And, uh, and we just got to be careful to guard our hearts, that we don't let our hurt turn into our hate. Mm-hmm. That when we get hurt by people, we can hate them. And then what happens is we form unholy alliances. We look for people to join our team to, uh, to, to oppose them. And, and if they really grow, they end up being mobs. And they're mobs that run Paul out of town and run Jesus out of town. And, and, and that starts with hurt religious people or self-righteous religious people that then articulate their hurt to their followers and then create an unholy alliance. And next thing you know, it's a mob mentality. And sometimes that ends up with a lot of church hurt. And so thankfully, the mentors owned it and this person has seen it. Um, but man, I always say we present our enemies on their worst day. We present our friends on their best day. Mm-hmm. And the stories we tell about people really reveals a lot more about us than it does them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt and I have hung out some, and you know, I I don't have anything. I don't have any dirt on you, but like I could, I do. I, well, if you need some, yeah, you know, <laughs> I think like, you've posted some. Yeah, you know, but love covers a multitude Amen. of sins. Love does not keep a record of wrong. It's a glory of a friend to cover an offense. You know, what I'm saying, like, if we love someone, we're like, ah, that was an off moment. Let me cover that for them. And if I really want to hurt you, it's like, and this is the one I'll turn the spotlight on. Mm. And so we just always got to be careful. How are we presenting people? Are we presenting them as enemy or family? Are we presenting them in the best light or the worst light? Are we trying to form an unholy alliance and gossip and, and speak ill of someone publicly? And in an age of social media, let's just hypothetically say that this is more possible than ever. Mm. Mm. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And, and let me just say this is that I, you know, I, I think we just need to all acknowledge and Mark would I, I totally amen and agree this. We're both fallen. We're both broken. We're both sinners. We both, we both struggle. And, and that's just, that's just the reality. Um, you know, if, if our church knew everything I ever thought, did, felt, was thinking of doing, nobody would follow me. Thank God we're not following me. We're following Jesus because he's the one that is perfect. And so we just have to understand that there is no perfect leader. And oftentimes when people are throwing these stones and it's why you don't hear me criticize other leaders, man, I got my own crap. I got my own stuff that I'm trying to deal with. There are some occasions, very rarely, where we have to stand up for something maybe theologically, but you're never going to hear me attack another church or another pastor. That's just jealousy. That would be my sin. That would be my insecurity. That would be my envy of, of how God is blessing them. And, um, 
you know, I, there's just there's just something about us as human beings that wants to criticize and and look for the negative, which is why you know the the giftedness of our eyes is they see so accurately. The problem is they 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 look out, and we don't look in, and that's why you know Christianity teaches us to look within first before you start criticizing. Uh, without and so you know, I'm grateful. A that this leader recognized. Man, I, that that just so you know, that's a rarity, and that means this is probably a real and sincere leader who temporarily got a little sideways. Which, by the way, been there. I, I've been there. I've done that. I've I've blown it. Um, that's why I'm so good at saying I'm sorry. I'm wrong uh, because uh, I mean, not one trivial pursuit, but every every <laughs> other area. And I'm kidding. I've been wrong there too. Um, but thank God for this leader who had the humility to come back and say that, because you're right. I don't know what it is about doubling down, you know, what we feel like, you know, I've got to be right in this situation. I will say this, you know, Paul's very, very clear that when you accuse an elder, there needs to be two witnesses. There are multiple witnesses, is it two or three? Two or three, yeah. Yeah, so there needs to be multiple witnesses who see this happen. And, um, you know, bad news loves to be shared. It's why, it's why I don't like watching the news, right? And there's nothing good. There's nothing good on the news. It's just going to make us all feel anxious and all scared to death. And so bad news just spreads. And a lot of times it's just not true. Um, you know, when... Um, well, I was going to say too, like you think about it like with... And the, the goal is like, if you hold a leader up to the standard of perfection, it's easy right. to criticize, you know. But whatever it means by above reproach, right? the guy who wrote that, right, murdered a deacon, <laughs> started a couple of riots, and wrote much of the Bible while in prison. Right. So whatever above reproach means, <laughs> it's big enough to include that. Yeah. Which wouldn't mean like, he didn't come to my potluck and my inner child felt spanked. I mean, right. it had to be something, <laughs> you know, fairly significant. Yeah. I mean, you know, because we look at the teachings of Paul and then we don't look at the example of Paul. Right. Single guy murdered a deacon, starting riots and in prison telling us to be above reproach. Right. And he wrote half our New Testament. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, he wouldn't get through any pulpit committee today. <laughs> Can you imagine him filling out an application to be an adjunct prof at a Bible college? Yeah. Tell oh, us man. about your family life. Single? Yeah. Uh, but I'm good at riots, and yeah. I'm, I have a lot of experience with prison ministry. Yeah. Um, oops. And I murdered a deacon. Yeah. 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 Well, I didn't do it, but I... I, I caused it. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. good at organizing yeah. people to accomplish tasks like murder. I hold deacons. their coats. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, no. So, you know, again, you know, it's easy to be critical and, and praise God, you know, pray for your pastor, love on your pastor, praise God for them. You know, uh, instead of criticizing me, pray for me that I'm not the biggest idiot on any given day, you know, keep me off the front page of the news or anything like that for being, you know, something stupid. And, uh, and thank God for our leaders. The Bible says to pray for them. It is for your benefit to pray for us, you know, there, there is no benefit to you to criticize, to malign, to destroy, to hurt, to harm, to maim. There's nothing good in that for you. You're actually harming yourself. And so, you know, make sure that you don't, you don't do that and, and pray for those people. And I'm not talking about being a blind uh, cult follower. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about be reasonable. Um, Paul prays, I think it's in the King James, that we may be free from unreasonable men. I can't, I can't remember how they translate that in the newer translations, but Paul's open to criticism as long as it's reasonable, but unreasonable men do great harm and, uh, and hurt and maim and malign and destroy. And um, we, need, we need to be careful of that and from those people because they can do a lot of hurt. And so again, you know, if you feel like you need to criticize something, pray for me, man. Let, let, let the Holy Spirit do uh, you know, its job. And just know most of the time our criticisms have to do with us. I just had a guy today after you spoke, came up to me, um, goes to one of our, our other campuses. He says, man, I need to apologize. I told you about this. I was like, oh, here we go. And he just said, he said, I didn't like you at first. He said, I thought you were prideful. Well, okay, yes, I'm guilty of that. I struggle with that. But it probably has more to do with his pride, which then is what he said. And so often our criticism of others, we're so focused on it because it's scratching something in us. It's revealing something in our heart. And um, God wants us to attend to our heart rather than the leader that we're criticizing and what they're talking about or doing. And he said, no, I love the church now and I'm, I'm grateful and I'm glad to be here. And his wife says, I never had a problem with you. I knew it was wrong. So that was funny. <laughs> it was like, and they're in marriage ministry. So there's that team. So, but you know, I meet people like that all the time. So just be very, very careful. I've been wrong many, many times. Um, you know, and that's the thing I love about Mark, tender, loving, compassionate, and a protector of God's church. And I just love, love, love that about you. Amazing guy, great dad, great husband, great heart for the kingdom. 
cares about sandals and we're grateful. Yeah, so, I love you guys. So what God's doing here is supernatural. It's awesome uh, to see. Thank you. People meet Jesus every week. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, thanks for being on the show, Pastor Mark. Um, Are we into the Christianese thing? I we'll get there. there we'll get there. We'll get there. We got to get through the <laughs> yeah. biz, the closing right, biz, right. and then we get there. Well, I'm not missing funny. We got to do funny. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being on here. Listen, yeah. if, if you guys want to get more from Pastor Mark, or you even do Q&A videos like this as well, you can follow Pastor Mark online at markdriscoll.org. Pastor Matt, you're even subscribed to those emails. Yeah, right? and let me just say this, man. If you have great questions, Mark is a great summarizer of of of. of of information. So he can take a very, very complex issue and summarize it in just like literally 10 to 12 minutes. Phenomenal. Um, a lot of my thinking is shaped by Mark. I listen, I learn, I appreciate his his wrestling with the text and his fairness. That's what I would say about Mark is Mark lands pretty much in the middle on almost every single issue. I just love it. It's a great place to learn thanks, and get your questions answered. And so I actually shoot you a text sometimes. I say, yeah. great job. Yeah, Appreciated you. that. So awesome. Uh, one of my favorite ones was your uh, your one on lust where you did the road. Yeah. And you talked about the pathway. So if you're struggling with lust, man, go find his comment. Uh, what would you call it? His, I don't know, couple minute talk on mm-hmm. lust at markdriscoll.org. Fantastic. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. That's right. Yeah. So you can find uh, show notes for this episode and every episode. Just go to debrief.show. You can see the whole list of our episodes there. You can pull up the show notes. We'll have links to this in there. We link to the verses that we talk about and kind of give you a summary of all the questions that you can kind of go through, read back, and listen again. We would love to have you check those out. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you want to support Sandals Church and help us keep doing everything from opening up new locations to more this Easter and uh, keep going with this show and more, you can support the show. Just text give debrief. That's two separate words, give debrief to 951-900-4120. Even a dollar for this episode would be super helpful. We appreciate all you guys who are listening and supporting the show, especially those of you guys who tune in or watch or listen or whatever every single week and are not a part of Sandals Church. You guys are awesome. Thank you for doing that. Now, before we get out of here, Stephanie, it's time to unpack some of the weird stuff Christians say, right? Let's do it. Learning Christian news, I think I'm learning Christian news, I really think so. Learning Christian news, I think I'm learning Christian news, I really think so. Okay, what does it mean when Christians say a word? Like, oh, I have a word for you, or God gave me a word for you. Snow cone. <laughs> God never gives that word. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we should try it sometime. Brother, I, I feel like God has a word for you. Okay, close your eyes, close your eyes. Yes. Snow cone! Snow cone. <laughs> Pastor Mark, you don't, you, you don't know me, but that was one of the most spiritual moments of my life. That was a, that was a prophetic yeah, literally. That, is, that was the word from the Holy Spirit for me, don't you think? Go rainbow. Rainbow's the best, right? Rainbow's like, like they always give the choice. Else. Cherry yeah. and the rest is just not oh. necessary. Oh, the no. blue one is really blue good too. Vanilla. Whatever the yeah. blue is, it's vanilla. Snow cone? is it vanilla? Yeah. Yes. No, it's like it's like berryish. There's like a blueberry one. Yeah, blue is like vanilla. A, yeah. I eat. I just come back from okay, Hawaii. Okay, okay. <laughs> I will submit to okay, you as okay, a snow yeah. cone. I will say this: there's probably multiple flavors yeah. in the color of blue. Probably, because no actual flavor is blue. I don't yeah. think blueberries. I, guess. I have a word for you: snow cone. Yeah. Yeah. So what it means is, I'm going to tell you something. I think God is saying, right? I think usually it is. I want to manipulate you, but I think you're going to say no, so I'm going to pull out the God told me card. Right, right, right. Usually it's a single guy who comes up to a single girl and says, <laughs> I have a word from you. Marriage. Right? It's like that. It's that it. sort Please of a, stop touching it's, me. Yeah, it's it's a way to control. It's Somebody wants to be the marionette when they pull out the... Because my <laughs> thing is like, hey, why couldn't God call me? Why did he call you to, right. to call me? He could have called me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were busy. I was busy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my I, have numbers, a, I have a word for yeah. you. <laughs> I'm, gonna tell, I'm gonna tell Lindy when I when I get home from work. So, sorry, babe. Pa- Pastor Mark said I had to stop for snow cones. <laughs> yeah. It was a word from the Lord. That was the wrong <laughs> word for Justin, dude. He's down 11 pounds. Praise, Praise him. him. Praise him. Yeah. yeah.